right, welcome to another episode of the Light Bulb Factory, conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. We are back again today with another episode, and I've got Clay Dominey here with me. Clay, how you doing? I'm shucking and jiving. Shucking and jiving? What does it even mean? <laughs> well, it's like, you know, um, I'm shucking and I'm driving. So I'm not just jiving, I'm also shucking. And I'm not just shucking, I'm also jiving. He's doing both. Yeah, I'm doing both. <laughs> it is what it is. You're working and having fun. Exactly. But. Colby gets it. Okay, all right. Oh, it's, a, it's a country thing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> okay. We also do have uh, our friend Colby White with us here today. Colby, how are you? I'm good. Good. For those yeah. that may not know you, you want to tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, I'm a sophomore health science studies major at Baylor. I also lead the Wednesday Night Bible Study with Miles. Great. Awesome. And are you, are you shucking and jiving today as well? Yeah. Um, I'd say I'm doing more of the shucking than the jiving, but okay. trying to get up to the jiving. Okay. Amen to that. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we jump into our topic for today, Clay, you have a hot take to give us. I do, yes. And if you were there Sunday morning, you might remember this, but it is that there is really no place worth visiting outside of Texas. No place. Uh, no place. And I say that... Um, <laughs> Really looking more towards. I should call like qualify that. I'm really looking more towards Europe. You know, okay. I, I I can understand you want to visit like the West Coast. It's beautiful. I get that. You know, Texas coast. I can see it. it's not that great. But when we think about like you know, going anywhere else, like going to the East Coast or you know, <laughs> um, or Europe. But like you wonder like people say the culture there is so much better than what we have in America. I say it's not. And I'll tell you exactly why. Did you hear how he said Europe? Kind of like it was, it was kind of allergic. Like, Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah Europe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, go I mean, for it. Yeah. Yeah, think about it. You go to Europe, and what do they have Europe. that Texas doesn't? All right? They got some old buildings. That's cool and all. Um, but do they have barbecue? No. Do they have no. country dancing? No. Do they even have country music? No. Do they have cowboy boots? Also, no. Dr. Pepper? They don't know. They do have Dr. Do Pepper, okay. but here's do the they? problem. Here's oh. the problem with their Dr. Pepper. They put fake sugar in it. So you get you get normal Dr. Pepper, and it's Diet Dr. Pepper. Uh. <laughs> and I'm not drinking that stuff. So what is Diet Dr. Pepper? Is that just like water at that it's point? Like, yeah. yeah, it's worse than water. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather drink mud. Okay. But Man, that is, that is a hot take, Clay. It is. I have been sorely disappointed every time I've left my yeah. home state. Scotland, <laughs> Scotland did a number on Clay. When yeah, I, I, I mean, Scotland, they got some country out there, but I guess it, it's not the right kind. It's the wrong kind of country. <laughs> um, Colby, have you traveled much before? Not really. I mean, I stay most in the state. I've only left the country one time. I went to the Dominican Republic okay. last summer, so that was a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Have you traveled around the U.S., though? Um, Not really. We've stayed more kind of in the south. Okay. Like I've been to. I went to California once. I've been. I lived in Colorado for a while. So yeah, New Mexico. So you, are Nevada. you sympathetic to this, this argument then? You know. Um, I would actually kind of agree with Clay. Oh, I, right. I do think Texas is the best state. There are some things that we don't get, like elk. We we don't have a bunch of elk. We don't have a bunch well, of mountains. Sure. You know, that's so like I'd want to go up to Montana, Wyoming for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there were something. There are some things, but like talk about other countries. I'd say Texas is probably better. Yeah, and if we're, but if we're being honest about like you know Wyoming and Montana, those are just like North Texas. Yeah, at that point, you know, there's not much. It's just a colder Texas. Yeah, just a colder Texas. Exactly. So if we were looping that in with Texas, then I'd say yeah, Texas. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't need to leave. Cheyenne used to be, used to be in Texas. The Texas hand Panhandle used to extend all the way up to Wyoming. That I can, I still consider it part of Texas. Okay, I Texas the, North. Yeah. The only thing about leaving Texas is the fishing. There, the fishing's not as good here. I guess if you go out in the no. Gulf, there's some stuff, but... I mean, yeah, there's... What, what, what are you talking about? Lake Waco is a great fishing location. 
Yeah, but not for salt water. <laughs> not for salt water. <laughs> Galveston is the most beautiful, pristine water you will ever okay, find. You just okay. get to the this coast and you look off, a little bit. You look out on the shore and see all the oil rigs and the <laughs> muddy water and the kelp rolling in. Look, I love some barbecue, but there are other kinds of food because besides, besides barbecue, you know. I'm just You're saying, right. Just we saying, have, we have Tex-Mex. Why would I ever? <laughs> yeah. Why, who would ever? Only, the only two options. Love, the two food love that too. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I can appreciate, although all, all England actually does not have good food. If, they, you're, if you're a British friend with us today, sorry, I, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, So I'm with you there. But I'm just saying, I like, I like a diversity of food and I, I get that when I travel, you know. And I see, will say shepherd's see pie. See amazing things. Shepherd, shepherd's pie is pretty good and we can't really get that here. Well, I I can live with that. I can live without shepherd's pie. I don't know. It's so good, though. You know what's better? Barbecue. Dr. Amen. Pepper. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Friends, I won't pretend like this has anything to do with what we're talking about today, because it does not. <laughs> uh, but we, we will take a hard left turn now <laughs> and, uh, and turn to our, our topic. Um, we've been going through this semester just a bunch of different practices um, that we're calling a rule of life, which is just a fancy word that means a set of practices and habits that form us into the way of Christ. And um, we've been talking about some that are communal practices, some that are more individual uh, for uh, to develop our, our spiritual life with God. Uh, and then now we're kind of uh, focusing in on ones that are related to mission or related to, to spreading and sharing our faith with other people. And so uh, we're in the second practice related to that. Last week we talked about sort of evangelism and sharing our faith with others. And then today we're talking uh, more in the realm of justice, uh, but we're, we're tagging this practice as move toward pain, move toward pain. So um, yeah, what, what comes to mind in, for you when you hear the phrase move towards pain? I'd say kind of the first thing that comes to mind for me is that thing about like sacrifice. Because... Hmm. Sacrifice doesn't always have to include like something that's painful, whether it could yeah. be like a physical pain, like this emotional pain. But I do feel like there are sometimes God calls us to do some stuff that may make us uncomfortable. Like he called yeah. Abraham to just get up and leave. Yeah. So I feel like there are things that God can call us to do that make us uncomfortable, but it's sometimes those sacrifices that like help build us to be like better people. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. good. Colby, you, uh, you played football in high school, right? Yeah. Um, I think about like weightlifting um, and how, uh, you know, any good football player needs to lift weights in order to perform better on the field. And if you're, if you do weightlifting, like you need to learn to embrace pain, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That that no one really, I mean, maybe someone does, but in my mind, no one really loves like lifting weights, you know, because it's like, oh, this is just kind of awful, you know, like I don't want to be in pain. And yet uh, there's this recognition that like by embracing the pain, that you're making yourself stronger and that you're going to be able to perform better as a result, right? Yeah, because there, there were definitely times where, because after the season, we would work out four times a week, almost oh. every morning. And starting out the season, you get back into lifting and just everything is sore. Everything hurts. You don't want to walk anywhere. But it's just like that process of if you don't work out, you aren't going to get stronger, but there's no pain with that. Mm-hmm. But when you're working out, while there is some pain, it breaks down the muscle, builds it back up to become stronger. Yeah. So sometimes you have to just kind of deal with, push through that pain. Right. That it's uncomfortable. You don't like it at first, but it does help build you, like you're saying, to become stronger. And that uh, that can work for the our own pain in our life. You know, the idea that it, that it does build character and builds perseverance. Yeah. Um, Romans five talks about that, but 
but also I think it can apply to the pain of other people too, you know, is that um, even though it's not pleasant that, uh, like you said, that sacrifice is, it has an important role within, within the Christian faith. Yeah. Whenever I think of moving towards pain, um, the first thing I think of is moving towards other people's pain, like taking Mm -hmm. that, um, not necessarily taking that on ourselves, but not like hiding from it. It's, um, I think we're called to be compassionate and the word like compassion literally means to suffer with. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I know like being empathetic and compassionate people, it's really hard to go in and like be with another person in their pain and to suffer with them because it, it hurts us as well. But the mere, I think there's something about like the mere presence, our own presence there can, can make it better. And at the very least, you're not alone. Like I think one of my favorite, my favorite um, ways that God has described is the God of mercy and compassion, the God who suffers with us, mm. um, which is a really, it's really beautiful because it means that God is never, um, like, He's never devoid of our suffering. He, he doesn't mm. like treat it as something to hide from. He is act, he's like actively, He loves us enough to be with us whenever we suffer. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a good thought because really the uh, motivation for this practice is is Jesus, you know, and really all three of these practices which we're talking about in this mission circle um, is you know talking about the transformation of how you know God wants to come transform the world and He wants to transform us, uh, moving towards pain and then forming unlikely friendships, which will be next. Um, these are all things that Jesus did Himself. Jesus moved toward pain. Um, what, what comes to mind for you about like, what are some ways that Jesus moved towards pain? Maybe it's a story that we know, maybe it's an example. Uh, what did moving towards pain look like for Jesus? I mean, I guess like the biggest one that I think about is the crucifixion. Yeah. It's like the night before in the garden, Jesus called out to God. And I feel like at that moment, Jesus had two choices. He could have been like, you know what? I'm done. This is too much for me. I don't want to die. And he left and he could have left. But mm-hmm. instead he realized that this is what God wanted for him. This is what he was meant to do. And he chose to just go through with it. He went and he died on the cross, which is pretty painful, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of ways in which... uh Jesus was actively was like suffering with people just in their own lives. Like I think, um, I think back to uh, the passage where Lazarus died, where mm-hmm. I mean he was deeply, deeply uh, distressed on hearing that his friend had died, and so he knows grief. He knows what it means to mourn with uh, Mary and Martha. That, um, like he he doesn't like I mean Jesus Jesus is God, so he's not like I oh, hey, don't worry, don't worry, I'm going to raise him from the dead. He's like. Oh, man, my friend just died. Like, this is absolutely terrible. And not only that, my friends who also loved him are in deep distress as well. And I don't think, I mean, and I think that that passage shows that Jesus, God, um, cares about cares about our suffering. He's not like, hey, don't worry. It's not that big a deal. I'll fix it. He's like, oh, my gosh, my people are hurting, mm-hmm. and I hurt because of that. Yeah, yeah. I've been... Um thinking re- reading recently about the gospel of john and how uh, how jesus often uh is moving towards pain but but it's interesting because jesus finds we find jesus in places that he, he doesn't have to be and he seems to have chosen to be there you know um 
So, for example, this story from John chapter 4, when uh, Jesus goes and meets the woman at the well, if you remember that story, you know, who's been married a lot of times, you know, and asked for living water. And, uh, you know, uh, it says that, you know, in the beginning of John 4, it says, now Jesus had to go to, you know, Samaria. And this author, Brenda Salter McNeil, she writes about how that's actually not true at all. Based on where Jesus was, was go- where he was and where he's going to, he didn't have to go through that area. Uh you know, usually people avoided it actually because they didn't want to interact with the Samaritans. But Jesus went the uh, um, w- went the went the way he didn't have to go. He put himself in position, somewhat strategically, it seems like, to interact with this uh, th- this woman. Um, the other thing in the next chapter, we see John five, and Jesus shows up at this pool. That um, John five tells us that a great number of disabled people used to lie there: the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, and the lepers. And, uh, and it, you think to yourself, like, why is Jesus there? Like, you know, why did he even what, find himself there in the first place? And it almost feels like Jesus is seeking out um, places where people are hurting. He's, he's going to those places, and he's, uh, he's moving toward their pain um, with compassion. And that's uh, it's a very compelling thing, because I, I find that, like, uh, I don't know about you guys, but it's really easy to move away from pain, to want to shield ourselves from it, to not have to deal with it or mess with it, because other people's pain is inconvenient. Um, so that's what I find intriguing about about Jesus. Yeah, and I think there are just so many other examples of where Jesus was doing something, and then he went out of his way to find something else, like the lady that was hemorrhaging. Hmm. He was walking to go heal this yeah. child that was sick, was dying, and the lady comes up and touches him, and like instantly he stops, and he's like, who touched me? It's like I feel like sometimes we don't want to go out of our way when we have something in mind, and Jesus constantly was stopping, going out of his way, just to find people that were hurting. Kind of what you were saying is Jesus didn't have to go to all these places, but he chose to because he knew there were people there that needed him, people that were hurting and could have used him. Mm. Absolutely. So the, the next question that comes to mind for me is just like thinking about the relationship between pain and injustice, okay? Um, so what do you guys think? Like is pain always caused by some level of injustice? Um, like what is the relationship between pain and injustice? Um, I don't think I can say that all pain is caused by Injustice. I think a lot of pain is caused by injustice. Right. Um, uh, we think about, if we, like on the San Antonio trip we went on where we were meeting with asylum seekers and refugees, their pain, a lot of their pain is caused by injustice. They were afflicted by a lot of terrible people uh, yeah. in both in their homeland and on their way to America. Right. Um, and even once they got to America, they were afflicted by some terrible people. Um, and so a lot of their pain was caused by people who had acted unjustly towards them. But I think of um, a lot of my friends who either they or members of their family deal with like some serious, you know, mental health problem, mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I think of people who, um, you know, get sick and die of cancer. Their pain isn't necessarily caused by injustice in the way we think of. I think it's caused by injustice in the sense that, um, as a result of, you know, 
sin, that first sin, the great and beautiful order of creation um, has been destroyed. And so now there are terrible things that just happen. Yeah, life is hard and mm-hmm. there are bad results. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so stepping off a curb, you know, and twisting your ankle uh, is, a, is a pain, but it's not like an injustice was done to you. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe the people who built the sidewalk sidewalks <laughs> messed up and, yeah. you know, or <laughs> something like that, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah. Um, so uh, is it fair then to think of, like, pain as, like, uh, a big circle? Um, and then think of, like, a small inju- – injustice as being, like, a smaller circle within pain, you know? So um, that uh, some pain is caused by injustice, um, and injustice leads to pain, but not all pain is – is caused by injustice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could. I think you could say that. Okay. Yeah, and then, um, so, Clay, I, lo- I mean, I love the example of Honduras because it's uh, very real and something that we here need to be made aware of, you mm-hmm. know, um, about people who have go through a lot harder things than us. But but what are, what are some other examples, if we can think of anything that's, like, here and more practical, you know, um, maybe even on our campus, you know, like, of injustice like what is what does injustice look like um in our in our world today um i guess kind of one thing that is pretty prevalent in like the waco community is there's a lot of homelessness there's a lot of poverty and i feel like that in a way is a form of injustice is people not being able to get the help that they need or being able to just provide for their families yeah so i feel like that is a big injustice that's especially prevalent here in waco yeah, for sure. Kind of inequality is a yeah. word that maybe comes to mind for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. 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 I think you see that. I think you see um uh like even just a few blocks from here, blocks from First Baptist Church, you'd walk down Clay Avenue and you'll see um you'll see the most expensive Airbnb in the city mm-hmm. right next to like Section 8 housing and to yeah. other like like beat down, depressed homes, economically depressed homes um, that are being, you know, bulldozed to create more Airbnbs in downtown. And instead of actually like, so like downtown looks a lot nicer than it did a few years ago, but it's not because any of the problems that the people who live here face are fixed. It's because they're just being moved out of the way mm-hmm. and placed somewhere else where we don't have to see those problems. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and so a place that's been home for decades or generations, you know, now becomes uh, no longer convenient, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think about uh, just kind of campus culture and, you know, what's happened in the past decade at Baylor. And I think about, you know, within sports programs, there's mm-hmm. been sort of a history of like sexual assault, you know, um, that's been all over the national news and, and how that's um, certainly injustice that's, that's led to pain, you know. Um, I think of, um, within our country as a whole, there's, uh, you know, a lot of conversations about race and about like who, uh, what does justice look like, you know, among people of, of different skin color. And, um, and those conversations take place, not just on a national level, but in every little pocket, you know? And, um, and so I think people who belong, um, who live in different cities or different campuses are always thinking through like, is this institution, is this place that I live and love? Like, is it, um, is it a place where I can be myself and is it a place that the people care about me and prioritize me and my voice? And, um, and I know that the, the results are mixed in terms of what people would say, even, even here, you know? And so I think that's another form that comes to mind for me. 
Um, but I'm curious with you guys, uh, when you were growing up, uh, you know, kind of in your church context, whatever that looked like, um, did you guys hear uh, more talk about, you know, uh, justice or evangelism? What was, what was the focus of, of, uh, of your church context? in terms of how you're spreading or wanting to, um, yeah, spread your faith to other people and what, how, to, how to make a difference in the world. Yeah. I think it, my church, they definitely focused a lot more on the evangelism part. They were always trying to get people to invite friends, family, neighbors to the church so they could learn about God. And I think that was really good because it helped build up the church and those people that learned about God. But I don't think they focused as much on the justice part. Because yeah. I know they did a lot of like fundraisers and they would go out and they'd help some of like the smaller, like rundown areas of town. But I do think it was mainly focused on if we get people to come to church and they learn about God, they will learn how to help themselves, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, it was also um, mostly focused on evangelism. Evangelism was always the like, this is what. This is what Christians do. We make uh, we make believers out of out of out of the whole world, which is what Christians do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that always just seemed like like half of the picture for me. Like right. uh, I know like, God absolutely does want everyone to bring does want to bring everyone to faith in Him, but um, I just feel like He's concerned with so much more than that. So much more than just yeah. counting numbers, you know. Yeah, I think I probably had a similar context to you guys in terms of what was emphasized. Um, one of the things that's interesting is when you kind of like zoom out and you look at um, the church as a whole, uh, there are some churches that, and usually this is determined by like denomination, uh, is, a, is a big indicator, um, some churches that really focus a lot on justice and the idea that we need to be feeding people and taking care of their actual tangible you know, needs um, improving the quality of their life, especially when it's really hard. Um, and there are other churches that uh, that seem more concerned about, uh, you know, we'll just say eternity, right? Is, is like, does this person know uh, where they're going after they die? And, and did, did they know the good news of the gospel that comes leads to eternal life? And um, unfortunately, in the last hundred years, if you do, like study, you know, American evangelicalism, you'll find that like there's been a split where, uh, you know, it kind of, if you're on the evangelism scene, you, side you sort of like derogatorily call the other side the social gospel people you know who like only care about you know feeding people and you know and meeting needs and the sort of argument in return is like but what does it matter if they have like a full belly but you know they don't know you know what's going to happen after they die and then the other side you sort of look um, towards the more evangelism crew and say like well um, you know, you guys are ignoring and you're not caring for the actual person like you know sure you care about their eternal destiny but um, but, uh, but what good is that? Or what hope does that really bring if we're not meeting people's needs here? And, um, and so the unfortunate thing about it is that these kind of gets divided into two teams of like, y'all are wrong and we're right. And, uh, I'm not so sure that when I read the gospels that we have to make a choice, you know, um, that it seems like Jesus is, is healing, uh, he's, he's healing people and he's forgiving their sins in the same moment, you know? Um, that he's interested in their holistic um, development as people, their souls and their bodies. Um, that he's interested in their life here and in their life forever. And um, and so I guess I don't know. Why do you guys think there's this like need to choose? You know, do you have any insight into that? Like, why is it that we feel 
Like we have to separate those out and choose one or the other. Oh, that's a really good question. Because like, I think when we talk about it, like it's obvious that, or well, I mean, I guess now it seems obvious after talking about it, that, um, that we don't have to choose that, you know, we talked about this last week, that true evangelism is when our deeds match up our words and mm -hmm. it's neither one nor the other. Um, but they both have to come together in a like a beautiful harmony to really convince people and to really make a difference in their lives. Um, but as far as why a lot of sectors have, cho or why you know Protestants have have chosen one side or the other, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going on that same thing as with Clay. It's like talking about it's like it's pretty obvious. Like from reading the Bible, we know, like you were saying, Jesus he helped people while still spreading the word because if you really want to show who God is, I think that involves that helping. Like God wants us to help other people. So if we just tell them about God and we don't actually help them, it's not really going to convince them that, you know, God really wants to help them. So I do feel yeah. like we do need to do both, but I also and kind of with clay, it's like, I don't know why we don't like, I feel like that is something that it should be practiced everywhere. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I think part of it for the, uh, like, we'll call it like the social justice side of the people who tend to emphasize justice over evangelizing. I think they're, um, in my experience, are kind of turned off by the evangelists who only mm -hmm. evangelize, who have no concern with um, the tangible. Yeah. Um, and I, cause I've, I've met quite a few of those. I'm like, y'all, I don't think y'all really get this. And it's a, it's a really, um, it's just kind of a really half hearted, um, or yeah, half painted view of the world when yeah. it's only, when you're only looking at eternity and not looking at the here and now, right. because you're really kind of turning a blind eye to suffering saying, well, it doesn't really matter. And that's, um, an unbiblical and ungodly way to look at, look at suffering. And so I think for people who do overemphasize the justice aspect, I think it's an overcorrection of what they've experienced growing up. Mm. I think that's yeah. really insightful is that we do, we do react to what we don't uh, like. Um, one thing that is unfortunate though about it is that if you, um, you know, if you, if we don't take evangelism seriously and it, you know if we're reacting against that and we're really just focused on social justice the question becomes how are we different from any other other anybody else in the world so there's lots of nonprofits and great you know humanitarian institutions who want to make the world a better place um so the church just becomes another one of those you yeah. know um and so that doesn't seem to be quite right like at the, at the center of our faith is jesus and his ability to change lives you know and, uh, and the hope that he can bring of transformation. And so, um, but on the other hand, if we only focus on that, then we become really callous to the actual needs in the world. And w the hope we're proclaiming is just about, you know, hey, I'm sorry you're suffering, but it'll be better when you die one day. And, and that doesn't really seem to reflect the love of Christ that actually meets people in their pain and in their need. And so, um, there's a professor I just got to study with a few weeks ago um, in Chicago named Al Tizon, and he talks about these as half gospels. Mm. So if you are, okay. if you're uh, basically just on the social justice train, or you're just on the evangelism train, um, that like okay, that's that's half the gospel, but we need to bring them together. 
And then when we do have it together, now we have a complete comprehensive unit uh, as a whole. So I found that to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that kind of really got to me, what you said earlier, Clay, was how with the downtown, they were just kind of moving people. It really makes you think of like, well, out of sight, out of mind. And I feel like that's how a lot of people take the moving towards pain or just pain in general as an idea. It's like, well, if I don't know pain's happening, then is it really happening? And I feel like as Christians and what Jesus did was, I think that's a bad approach. Like if it's out of play, like out of sight, out of mind, that doesn't help anybody. I mean, you may be kind of helping yourself, but you aren't helping the people that actually need help. So I feel like moving towards that is with the whole move towards pain is if you see something wrong or you see somebody hurt, to go to them, ask them if they need help, what you can do for them, and just really emphasize seeking out people that are in pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that it's it's not hard to find pain. Um, just I mean, you don't have you don't even have to go outside your front door to to find real pain. It's helpful if you do because it's you know. But I mean, there. are there are so many problems just in in Waco alone that it, it's it'd be baffling to take them all on, and I think that that does kind of deter people to that. Like, well, if I help one person, I got to help everybody, and that's that's not true. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons we learned um, on the San Antonio trip is that uh, wherever there wherever there's pain, wherever there's suffering, wherever there's people who are hurting, uh, God is there long before. Um, mm-hmm the quote unquote helpers come in and step in. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, like, I mean, yeah, any problem you can think of for us, it was, uh, asylum seekers from asylum seekers from Honduras. Um, God was already at work in their lives, uh, leading them, uh, leading them here and protecting them along the way. And he just happens to invite his church or members of his church to come in and join with him in what he's doing. Um, one of the, like, there's a Psalm, that's that, and I've, I want to say it's Psalm 34, but I can't exactly remember. But it's that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Mm. So, um, like finding, finding the people who are hurting and being attentive to the Spirit and wherever He's leading you and uh, your community of faith is important, because you know God is actively at work in the world, and it's just being attentive to where He wants to use you mm-hmm. to help to help fix, not, not fix pain, be aware of it and to do something, do something about it, join with him in his work. Um, and yeah, I think it's being that moving towards pain in the practical sense is being attentive to the spirit and also being, uh, being willing to hurt with other people, to have Mm -hmm. a tender heart, um, that is willing to like go through the mud. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it all reminds me of, uh, maybe I think about why we don't do this and busyness is probably a big reason in our lives is that uh, a lot of us don't have a lot of margin where we can be interrupted and when uh, we can, you know, change our plans to, to, cause it takes time to be with people in pain. You know, it's, it's inconvenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, I go back to that phrase of the need to sort of ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life, you know, um, so that we have this margin in order to be with others. Um, another reason I thought of is just that um, a lot of times we, we have little capacity for other people's pain because we can barely hang on to our own, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, is that our own is, is enough. And so um, I think that in order to be healers, we're going to have to be people who um, have sought healing for our own pain as well. 
and something that we do in community with others, something we uh, do with God's help. Um, but I think that uh, prioritizing, you know, healing, and I don't mean that in a final sense, but, you know, because in some sense, you know, some pain just takes years or decades to work through, and that's okay. But, uh, but being able to become a person who is healing um, allows you to be able to invite other people into the journey of healing that you're on too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing too, that if we're going to be people who, uh, who move towards suffering, who move towards pain, as I think we have to be, we first and foremost have to be people who are grounded daily in our, uh, in our relationship with God and then the time we spend with him. And I say that because I think we need to have a firm sense of hope that no matter the pain we encounter, the pain we deal in our own lives, um, is that God's strong enough and God's big enough and God's good enough to resolve it. And it's and because quite frankly, I think there are there is a lot of pain in the world that uh, that won't be resolved in this life. There are there are problems that won't be fixed and that can that can uh, that can really weigh us down. We talked with John Garland in San Antonio about secondhand trauma that um, that a lot of times whenever we help people and we suffer with them, um, man, you really are taking that on your own, on yourself as well. Um, and so I think being a person who is firmly grounded in hope um, can make you better able to suffer with others. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and you don't have to be able to fix people's problems either. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that keeps us from moving towards pain is I don't know how to fix it. Uh, but I think, I think that uh, what, what Jesus models for us is just being present with those that are in pain uh, and sure, he he heals, but um, even when we don't know how to heal, if we're just present and remind people that God is present with them, uh, then maybe that's that's enough. And maybe the, the love that we can show and the compassion we can show will go a long way um, towards, uh, towards God working in their life. So. All right, y'all. Well, enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Colby, for, yeah. for joining Clay and I today. This is, uh, this is fun. Um, and just challenge you this week to just think about uh, who, is, who is in pain in your life, whether it's roommates, classmates, um, friends. Maybe it's somebody that you'll meet by chance. Maybe it's somebody that you'll uh, meet driving around town this week. Um, and so, you know, be open to what God wants to do in your life and, and try to have uh, the margin to, to be there uh, to show Christ's love in your, through, through you. Um, So anyway, share this episode, if you would, with a friend. If you found it helpful, uh, write us a review, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Adios. Peace out. See ya.